everyone and welcome to the fifth episode of the Cancer Stories podcast with the Northern Trust, local stories from local people. My name's Amy Wilson and I'm the Macmillan Information and Support Manager here in the Northern Trust and we are going to share another live recording from an event that we had in September of 2023. It was a gynae cancer health and wellbeing event in the Ross Park Hotel and during the event we hear from Pauline who shares her journey with ovarian cancer. Her cancer nurse specialist, Patricia Rogers, asks her questions about her experience and we wanted to share this with you today. Okay, so now we are going to hear from our patient representative, uh, Pauline, and they're going to sit up on stage here for a bit of an interview style um, question and answer. Um, And then afterwards, Pauline's going to share a poem um, that she has written. And uh, we just want to thank Pauline so much. This is not easy, so thank you so much. Here I am again. I feel like Patrick Keatley in the Late Late Show now. (laughs) Pauline, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us today about your story. I know it can be difficult, so Mm -hmm. if there's anything that I ask you, I think, you know, you'll be, you'll be, me and you're just going to have a chat. Yeah, fair enough. (laughs) Just ignore all that. (laughs) So we'll just start off, I suppose, at the beginning. And when did you suspect something wasn't quite right? Okay, um, well, sort of early 2021, I was extremely tired. I'd, I'd been sort of tired, of maybe going back even to the December of 2020, I'd been feeling a bit tired and, and then into the new year and this tiredness was persistent. And then uh, I remember particularly one day I was out for a walk with my sister Mary who's here today and another sister and I was saying how tired I was. i say it was February time and then they were saying they were really tired as well and we're putting it down to the lockdown the previous Christmas mm-hmm. we were in lockdown and mm-hmm. we're just bored and nothing to look forward to and I thought oh, that's probably all it is then I was just a bit down about the whole thing mm-hmm. and then that was to say February and then March time I was out walking with Mary and I said to her I've and it just happened really quite suddenly I was getting a funny feeling in my tummy lower tummy when I was out walking and every time I took a stride I was just aware of a feeling mm-hmm. it wasn't mm-hmm. a pain or discomfort or anything mm-hmm. just a funny feeling and of course said to her and she said oh you should go and have that looked about and at the same time I was increasing my fruit intake and my water intake because I was trying to be healthier and wouldn't need to eat drink <laughs> around the same time I started running to the bathroom far more frequently mm-hmm. so that was sort of late March early April and I was sitting at work one day and it was the day I said, I thought, oh, I just want to put my head down and go to sleep. I was so tired. And I knew even in the house I was taking wee rest and I was going to have a sit down in the afternoon. And I would never have been like that. I was always thinking, I've got 10 minutes, I can do this, or over oh, half an hour, I can do that. I can always fit something else in. Whereas I was feeling I just had to stop and I would nod off in the middle of the afternoon. And then I'd be chastising myself, you know, thinking, mm-hmm. you're just getting lazy. For goodness sake, Pauline, pull yourself together and mm-hmm. get mm-hmm. on. But this particular day, it was just awful. And then I thought, I have to ring my GP. And then I thought, first of all, I'll go for a wee walk, a bit of fresh air. I'll do a wee first, went to the loo, took a 10-minute walk, come back, had a wee again. I thought, oh, this is not right. Something's not right. So um, rang the GP and said, can I come in and get some bloods done? And she asked why. And I said, well, I'm really, really tired. I've been tired for a while. And I said, I've just developed a funny feeling in my tummy when I'm out walking as well. And then before I mentioned the toilet situation, she said, what about your bowel and waterworks? And I said, well, actually, it's all off, a bit off kilter. I've been running an awful lot to the bathroom. So, of course, she brought me in and we did some bloods. It's the 9th of April. <laughs> Got the results of those on the Tuesday, 
the Sunday in between, I walked, I hiked up a mountain, so I didn't feel I was sick um, in any way. Got the results on the Tuesday, and the tumor marker, the CA125, had come back raised. I didn't even know what that was at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so she sent me for an ultrasound the, sound the very next day to the mid-ulster Marfeld, and that came back that they were showing up something. So I attended Antrimere Hospital, uh, and did a, they did an internal camera scan there, mm -hmm. and then it all escalated from there. Yeah, so it was just that, that leads us on basically then. the tiredness, yeah, yeah. the fatigue, the, the, the funny yeah. feeling in the tummy, and the... And they also, in hindsight, I realised as well, I was kind of off my foot a wee bit. Mm -hmm. The topic feeling full more quickly. I didn't realise that's what was happening. I was just thinking, mm -hmm. oh, I've had enough of that. Mm -hmm. I would not finish my meals, so, yeah. And all those symptoms you're talking about, exactly what Dr. Conn alluded to Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And you know, this thing, Patricia, in hindsight, I'm, I'm really quite angry at times that I didn't yeah. know the symptoms were very in cancer, where we all look out for our breast symptoms and we mm -hmm. go for our smears and even our bowels. We know if something's not right, we'd often maybe yeah. mention that and yeah. get a wee screening kit out or something. So that just leads us on, I suppose, to talk on a wee bit then about your diagnosis and how you about the time you actually came up to Antrim Hospital I and received that diagnosis. Yeah, if I, then once we saw a doctor, it was actually Dr. Quinn I saw, mm -hmm. and he did the camera test mm -hmm. and sat me down and... Um, said that they'd found something on my fallopian tube ovary mm -hmm. and I found a cyst. <laughs> In hindsight, I've laughed about this and I feel so stupid because when he said the word cyst, I just thought it was just a cyst. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I've had one in my breast and they took me in and they drained it and mm -hmm. so I wasn't particularly concerned. And then the conversation went on and he started talking about treatment and hitting me hard and then I realised, I said, are you saying this is cancer? And then that was when a penny finally dropped with Pauline that it wasn't that good. Uh, what happened then? Then, then, I was, then I was sent yeah. for further, that was yeah. the initial thing, and then I was sent on for further scans, ultrasounds and TC scans mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. biopsies and things. Mm -hmm. So on the 19th of April, I got the full picture and I was told that, yes, I did have ovarian cancer and because it was spread outside of the abdomen, it was in my chest, around my esophagus and heart and on my bowel, and it was stage 4B. So mm -hmm. I was just so shocked I could be so sick and not know I was sick so um, yeah because you've been so well as you said I had been so well I had been so well mm -hmm. and the strange thing is as well mm -hmm. I got the diagnosis mm -hmm. and within two weeks of diagnosis it became apparent I was really really ill because mm -hmm. then the top of the bloatedness well I didn't actually get that till after diagnosis and within two weeks I looked like I was six or seven months mm -hmm. pregnant mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so what about your family and did you have anybody with you on the day you oh, got your diagnosis? <laughs> well, you were there. <laughs> I remember it so yeah. well. <laughs> so, um, Dr. Quinn remembers it yes. even more. <laughs> anyway, tell us about that, Polly. Okay. Well, my sister Mary works in the, in the hospital with you, mm -hmm. you guys, and mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. she was around, so mm -hmm. and I'd gone in myself to the assessment because I'd said to Declan, go you on, don't you be coming in, because I didn't know what would too involved in my seat. Oh, my husband, Declan. <laughs> Another Declan. Not that one. <laughs> um, so I sent him off out to the car park to get his steps up because this was kind of ongoing competition with us about getting the steps in. And I wasn't particularly concerned at this mm -hmm. stage. Um, or maybe I didn't want to be concerned. Maybe it was more I'd sort of it'll not be anything bad. So after that, then Declan wasn't with me. So... When the penny dropped, then I, I said, you get Mary. So Mary came into me first, mm -hmm. and that was tough. Mm -hmm. And then I said, you're going to have, you go and get Declan. So she brought Declan in, and you left us a few minutes. <laughs> 
And we laughed about this since as well because the team came back in and my husband was hanging over the base and pa- basically passing out. <laughs> he just did not cope well. And then he got up in the bed and they were all carrying him water. And I said, I was the one who just got the cancer diagnosis and you were the one getting all the attention. <laughs> he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, story of my life. <laughs> so anyway, that, that, we can lighten that up. Um, so telling tell him was very difficult and that was very hard. And then, of course, we had to break it too. We have three adult children. Uh-huh. So we're driving home and we just literally pulled the car over uh, uh-huh. and we just phoned them all individually, the eldest boys in London. So uh-huh. rang him and then rang two boys and a girl and rang them all. Uh-huh. Um, and I think initially I was in a state of shock. I wasn't really affected that terribly uh-huh. by it. Uh-huh. Um, Declan was. And then I told my father, I was Declan and Mary supporting me, I told my father at the time I decided not to tell mum because mum has Alzheimer's and her mm-hmm. dementia is quite bad mm-hmm. and I didn't know how to deal with that mm-hmm. so we just took dad aside and we had a chat with him and mm-hmm. that was very difficult for him but he felt mummy should know anyway so he told her on his own mm-hmm. um, but it didn't have the impact and maybe that's yeah. a blessing that it would, would have had otherwise so and then um, I have 10 siblings so I thought well I can't make 10 phone calls about this. I can't go through this 10 times. So I just, we have a group family chat. So I just put a, a post into the family chat and told everybody that it wasn't, it wasn't a good diagnosis and I was going to have to go into chemotherapy and treatment. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then my friends had to tell them. Well, I don't even remember telling them. I, don't, I think probably Declan told them. I don't even know. <laughs> I so, know, because it's a lot of people to talk to. It was a, and repeating yourself. And I couldn't do it. I thought, Patricia, I knew you'd ever get emotional. And I, I, mm-hmm, it, it wouldn't mm-hmm. be, so I thought, I just can't do it. I so. suppose, plus at that stage, you hadn't been up to Belfast. No. And you hadn't really got all the answers. And that's tricky. Because mm-hmm. you get family chucking a lot of questions at you and you don't know. At that stage, I didn't know what you was going to happen. You don't know how to answer. No, exactly. So that stage, you were referred up to Belfast because that's obviously where you city. got up for your treatment. Mm-hmm. And so when you went up there, then you had a good chat with them about treatment. So how did that work out for you? It went okay. It was, it was really explained very clearly to me what would be happening, mm-hmm. that I would be offered six cycles of chemotherapy, possibly surgery. Surgery wasn't an option to begin with because of the mm-hmm. widespread mm-hmm. of the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, so they said what they would do, they would, I would get three cycles of chemotherapy and after that they would do a further scan uh-huh. and see how things were looking. Uh-huh. Um, so we did that, we had the, had the first, actually, the, actually the, the pathway to getting started the chemotherapy was, turned out to be not really straightforward because uh-huh. I did get very ill very quickly and uh-huh. I had the ascites, uh-huh. the fluid build up, so I was admitted to the hospital in Antrim for a, fl- a drain. Mm-hmm. So they drained off about four litres of fluid and then because I spiked the temperature that night, they kept me in overnight and I was on IV antibiotics and fluids and things. And then I was up to, up to the city hospital the next week to start my chemotherapy. But my liver function was way off, completely off. Mm-hmm. So they said it wasn't safe to give it at this mm-hmm. stage because they didn't know what was causing that. And I would have to go and have a liver scan. And of course, at that stage, I thought, right, it's in my liver. You know, it's, this yeah. is not good. And that was very scary. And then they had to talk to the liver people at the Royal. So I was sent off home for another week and then brought up the following week. So they said the liver function was still raised, but they were now content that it was caused by the IV antibiotic. It can affect the liver. So having everything else in place. They said they would start me that. I was begging them. I was actually begging them that day to start me um, because the ascites was back. So they said they'd start me just with the carboplatin. They wouldn't put in the paclitaxel the first 
infusion because it's a bit sore in the liver. Um, so I got the first the first chemo and got the fluid drained two days after that again. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, after that first chemo, the fluid stopped building, mm -hmm. so I took mm -hmm. that as a very good sign. Mm -hmm. The first chemo wiped me out completely. It, mm -hmm. it terrified me. I thought, I'm never going to do this six times. Mm -hmm. But again, went on in cycle two and cycle three, and they were very manageable. I really, mm -hmm. maybe it's just because I was so poorly at the start that it mm -hmm. affected me so mm -hmm. badly. Mm -hmm. But I was always into my fitness and exercise and activity, and I did keep up my walking throughout, and, and it was good for my mental health and everything else. Um, so I got the halfway scan, and my husband is a... <laughs> intense. Explain to me. Explain to these ladies. <laughs> he's pretty intense character. And he's in a science. His background is in biology. He's a scientist right. enemy. So he mm -hmm. had to do lo He started doing loads and loads of research, and like he, that's how he coped. And mm -hmm. he kept seeing if, if you're, in my head, I thought I just in my head, I just always thought I would get surgery, and it was important to me that I did get it. I know not everybody does, and it's not always necessary. Um, but in my head, I just wanted it. Um, but he wasn't so sure, so he was doing research. So he'd actually spoke to the Christie Hospital in Manchester, a big cancer hospital there, and had that in the, his back pocket that if the city said I wouldn't get uh, the surgery, would they mm -hmm. have a look mm -hmm. at my case and stick the... And, uh, so they'd agreed that they would. Now, we, we were quite open with our team in Belfast, and we told them we'd done all of this, so um, they knew that. So when they rang to say that they had decided not to take me to surgery because they felt I was having a really good response to the chemotherapy and they didn't want to... It's massive surgery, so they didn't want to risk any disruptions or me taking on well at post-surgery or any complications mm -hmm. during mm -hmm. surgery. Um, but they said, we know you've spoken to the Christie team, so we are going to ask them to, for a second opinion and whatever they decide, we'll go with. So that took about four weeks for that to come through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So in the meantime, I went ahead and had a fourth cycle of chemotherapy. And... Um, then that, the chemotherapy had to stop until we heard what the Christie said. And they come back, lo and behold, and I just assumed they would all agree. So that four weeks was a really, really dark period for me. I was just convinced, you know, that this wasn't going to be good. But they come back and they said, no, if this was our patient, we would take her to surgery. So thankfully, the team in the city said, OK, well, we'll do it. So they took me and we had the surgery. And yeah. So. How did that work out for you? Um, well, getting there wasn't a straightforward mm, I know, pathway I either. Know, I know. Um, because. Uh, did you feel the recovery after surgery was a wee bit more well, impacted than the chemo? Well, the, the actually getting to surgery was difficult because it turned mm -hmm. out then I had neutrophil problems and mm -hmm. I was yeah. admitted. So that was your white cells. I was admitted below, the yeah. white cells were too mm -hmm. low. Mm -hmm. And the first day was admitted, the first time I was admitted was to go to surgery on the 10th of September. And it was gowned up, ready, to, ready for theatre. Mm -hmm. And the surgeon came in and pulled the curtain around and said, it's not happening today, Pauline. Um, your neutrophils are too low, it's too dangerous, we can't take you to theatre. And I was absolutely devastated. He went off to ring my husband because I wasn't capable of talking to anybody. And um, so he says, not cancelled, it's just postponed. We're getting you back next week. Just need to give these this Lots bit more time chance, to yeah. build up mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. So came back in the following week and they did uh, the blood test the day before the results were in. It was still no good, the neutrophils were too low. So they had to get haematology on board. Um, and they came in and did a bone marrow extract because if the bone marrow has stopped functioning, then these neutrophils would never recover. And that was a very dark moment because I asked the surgeon, what does this mean? Because if I can't get the neutrophils up, I can't get surgery. And I also can't get chemotherapy. And what does that mean for me? Mm -hmm. And he said, well then, your team will have to have a very frank discussion with you and you'll 
be offered counselling. So um, that was a horrible day. <laughs> um, but the haematology, the bloods had been taken when I arrived that day as well. And lo and behold, they came back and they were up. The figures were up. But they postponed it for a further week in case that was just an anomaly. They said they couldn't uh -huh. take a chance. It was, it was raised so much from where it had been. It was only at 0.5 and it had gone up to 2.2. And they said, we need to be sure. So they postponed it for a further week. And then on the 24th of September, almost two years to the day, <laughs> I had the surgery. So as I say, that was, that was good. Recovering from that, I woke up and it was horrendous. The pain was absolutely yeah. horrendous. Uh, it turned out the epidural hadn't taken, so it took a while for them to realise that. Um, so, but then once they got me the wee drips and I mean, the wee clicker, yeah. and, you I know. think of the stress you have beforehand. Yeah, yeah. And then also knowing I have to recover because I've still two cycles of chemo. I have to, and I have to get back to that mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. I'm Patricia, I was so determined mm -hmm. in the hospital, and I got mm -hmm. out after about nine or ten days, I think. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, learning to, you have to learn to walk again. I couldn't understand mm -hmm. why these legs wouldn't move. Um, mm -hmm. It was literally a, a very slow walk around the house, a lap mm -hmm. and then two laps, and I just built mm -hmm. it up. And mm -hmm. I can remember one day with my daughter going out as far as the gate, and there's a wee, a wee hill just up to my parents' house, mm -hmm. and um, I just cried, and I thought, when will I ever get up that hill again? Mm -hmm. But four or five days later, I was up there, and you know, so I was very determined, and mm -hmm. I... I thought I just have to get back in. So at the three and a half week, three week assessment after surgery, I'd made it known I wanted to get back into chemo as quickly as possible. So they said if I felt up to it, they would go ahead. Go ahead. So I got my fifth cycle three and a half weeks after. And, and that's and, that's a big undertaking. And that was that was mm -hmm. big, but I was so grateful to get mm -hmm. back in. So they finished the two cycles of chemotherapy, and then that was that treatment ended. That was treatment end. Last so cycle of chemo, I think, that? was the eighth of November, mm -hmm. and then the scan. And the scan results uh, came in at the end of November, mm -hmm. and it was it was better than we could ever have hoped for. They said Good. there was no visible mm -hmm. evidence of disease, mm -hmm. um, small node in the chest that nobody was given, nobody was concerned about, and um, but and initially, initially I was euphoric. I thought that this, yeah. this I could never have dreamt I'd get to this stage. Yeah. This is where I wanted to get to, but um, I'd never thought it would be this good. So I was absolutely delighted. But then this darkness set in that I was not prepared for mm -hmm. um, when treatment was over. Well, all the, it was so busy for a few months with all the appointments and all of that and everything else. Um, but still, and I knew I was in a really good place physically with regards to cancer, but my head was a complete mess. And it was this constant, this fear of recurrence. It just was constant. It just never went away. Um, there was this real sadness on me that I couldn't shift. Mm -hmm. And it was like, um, I think because I was always so fit and active, I just mm -hmm. couldn't understand mm -hmm. it, you know. Mm -hmm. And that I'd lost that history yeah. of good health that now you ever go with a tick this cancer box. And the, um, there was that sadness on me. There was um, a loneliness because I mm -hmm. thought, you know, to the outside world, to my family and my friends, and they were absolutely brilliant. I had so much support. I can't tell you between mm -hmm. love and prayers and support and even the teams, all the Macmillan teams, the, the team in Bell, everybody was so, so good. Um, and I'd also, I'd also joined uh, the Target Ovarian Cancer Support uh -huh, online, uh -huh, uh -huh. and they were terrific, uh -huh. and I got great help there, and so did, so did my husband. And I've lost my track of training, I thought we were talking about. Oh, oh re recovering, then. Yeah, recovering. So that took a while, but around the same time, I actually, I actually then got some more counselling from Macmillan, uh -huh. and then around the same time, the Target Ovarian Cancer Charity were... Uh -huh. 
asked for a focus group. There's a wee online community and they were wanting a focus group because they wanted to put together some kind of a programme for women who were through their treatment uh-huh. and this moving back moving back into life after after treatment. So I was part of that focus group and then they put together a programme and we called it My Next Steps. So I was uh, one of the pilot group who they rolled this programme out to. Uh-huh. And it was just fantastic. It covered all those things that we didn't understand about what had happened to us. Uh, we had one of the, it was a seven week thing. It was three and a half hours once a week. Um, and we had loads of speakers. We had a, we had a, a gynae oncologist or surgeon who did only ovarian cancer and she was uh-huh. just amazing because uh-huh. all those questions like what is this omentum why do we not need it um uh-huh. like why do some of us get why do some of us get surgery and why do some of us not get surgery um there was talks on intimacy you know after uh, cancer and things like this there was talks on just mental health and fitness and exercise and it was so good and that really i think that was a turning point for doing that yes. wee program i felt that really got me back on track you know, Do you so feel that was like you started your transition back to normal life? I, I definitely did. It felt me really transition yeah. back into being more like myself, you mm-hmm. know, so, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And how are you feeling now? What is your new normal since Ooh, treatment? So many um, years have been out now? Where, I'm, I'm two, 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 two years, years post-surgery. Yeah. Yep, two years post-surgery. And I'm doing great. I do, I do, I'm doing really well. Mm-hmm. I'm... I'm back out, uh, I, you know, way back when I finished finish the treatment, I just couldn't plan ahead. I couldn't even plan a night out. I couldn't mm-hmm. plan anything. I couldn't mm-hmm. look to any future, even no matter how short it was. Mm-hmm. But now I'm back making plans and having a few wee trips. And uh, physically, I feel really well. I'm back at my Pilates and yoga and walking. And I never got back to me running, mind you. Maybe, maybe someday I'll try that again. Just, I'm just great. I'm just really, I'm just, I have a heart full of gratitude. I just, gratitude is, the meaning, meaning of the word gratitude has reached a whole new level, you know, and I just, every day I'm so grateful that I wake up and I have another day and it, even if, even as a bad, and I still get dark days, I still get a day when it's like, it just overwhelms me mm-hmm. and the fear of recurrence mm-hmm. never goes away. It, it's there mm-hmm. every day, but it's not as, I don't let it consume me anymore. Mm-hmm. It's there and I think, right. I'll deal with that if it happens now, and mm-hmm. it's sort of, I put it in the back burner. But uh, if I have a bad day, I just mm-hmm. think to myself, okay, this is not, this day is not going the way I'd, I'd hoped it would, so I'll just feel it for today, and then mm-hmm. I'll reset for tomorrow and get back on track. So that's kind of the way I'm living. I'm on PARP inhibitors, which is a, a maintenance treatment, so I'm still on that, um, which I'll probably have to come off. I would say you can only be on it for two years, apparently, mm-hmm. so I'll probably have to come off at the end of the year. They might let me take it in January. Um, we'll see how it goes after that. But mm-hmm. for now, I'm great. <laughs> One last question. Mm-hmm. If you could talk to yourself just before treatment started, what advice would you have given to yourself? I think I'd have to say you're so much stronger than you think you are. Right. And you are. <laughs> and um, you can do far more than you think you can do. Yeah. yeah. And um, you're going into a tough world journey. Uh-huh. There's going to be bumps in the road. Uh-huh. You're going to get over those bumps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, I just hope, there's always hope. Yeah. During the whole mm-hmm. thing, I thought I have mm-hmm. to hold on to hope, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As I always say, hope's the last thing to die. Yeah. So just remain hopeful and um, don't Google. <laughs> I think you'll all agree she's been through a roller coaster mm-hmm. of emotions mm-hmm. and treatment and anxieties and yeah. look at you now you've done brilliant I'm that, so grateful I want yeah. you to take a drink of water Pauline is going to finish off on a small poem that she wrote a 
What about the beginning of your treatment? Yeah, I think it was in my third, my second or third chemo session lying yeah. in the city, and I just. And did you find writing a poem helped express yourself, or well, just well, I did actually write dur- it out during the during the process? I don't know why, but when I got mm-hmm. the diagnosis, I started to keep a diary. Yeah. And I've actually, and actually looked back on just when this was up coming up, and it's amazing mm-hmm. the amount of stuff I'd forgotten mm-hmm. that had happened, and mm-hmm. things that had mm-hmm. happened, and even my feelings and emotions were all in mm-hmm. there, and I'd forgotten just how bad it was at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the start, say at the start of treatment, I was lying one day, and I'd, occasionally in the past, I'd have written me poems for friends' birthdays or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this just started to come into my head, so I just it took me a few days, and I, I put it together. And at the time, I suppose it was trying to make sense of it all, where I was and what was happening, and and what I was hoping, mm-hmm. how it would, how I was hoping it would all mm-hmm. turn out. So I'm kind of grateful and thankful to say that what I put in paper has become my reality. So. Okay. Um, and are you okay to share it with us? Yeah, yeah and we'll finish on that. <laughs> Go ahead, Polly. Okay. They told me I have cancer, advanced ovarian it seems. That can't be right, I'm fitting well, my active mind and body screams. Inside my head so they don't hear, I say, you've got it wrong. How could that be when I've worked so hard? to keep well and healthy, strong. But with more investigations, I no longer can deny my life has now forever changed. Who am I to question why? But the fear is overwhelming. Disbelief in equal measure. How could I really be this sick as I went about at leisure, living life out day by day, going about without a care, except trying to avoid the COVID, never suspecting that my cells were turning rogue inside me, Silently invading through my frame, in a race to take me over, do they think this is a game? My path ahead is now mapped out like a scary roller coaster. Will chemo work by me sometime, or is my precious life near over? Can't let these dark and haunting thoughts that now occupy my head to rob me of my will to fight, I will not take to my bed. I must trust in all the doctors, follow through in their advice, take on board these chemicals that may prolong my life. For this is now my new reality, so much to comprehend, but I'll keep upbeat and positive about how it all might end. Even though it is incurable, that doesn't mean to say I won't get into remission, live to fight another day. For cancer's made a smatch in me, I'll manage the fatigue. I'll take all that it throws at me, for I'm in a different league. I'm determined, strong and mighty. My spirit won't be crushed. I'm surrounded by my loved ones in prayer and love and trust. So even in the dark of night, where thoughts of terror reign, and tears and prayers flow quietly, I'll battle through the pain. Hold firm in my ability to stave off this damn disease. Try to understand the challenge with which I've been besieged. So now the swords are drawn, the battle has begun. Just cancer me and chemo, my resolve won't be undone. Pick up the gauntlet, run like hell, show malignancy who's boss. This is one competition I don't intend to loss. The gloves are off, the bell has rung. I'm ready for the punches. This determined little lady won't sit upon her haunches. Maybe let, sorry, I lead this disease a merry dance. Maybe let it think it's winning. Come back with the knockout blow and watch everybody grinning. Listen to my loved ones who've grown more precious by the day. Ask how could we've ever doubted your willingness to stay. They'll wrap me in their loving arms and a new life will begin. It may be omnipresent, but I didn't let it win. 
I'll carry on indefinitely, finding new joy in my soul, appreciate each day in life and hope that I'll grow old. But should it rear its ugly head, I'll deal with it if and when, knowing if I beat it first time round, I'll beat it once again. <laughs> well done, Paul. Well done. Yeah, okay, well done. Thank you so much. I'm absolutely blown away. Wow. What a story of perseverance and strength. Thank you so much, Pauline. And that poem, I don't know about all you guys, but I'm trying to keep it together. <laughs> that was so moving. Um, and, you know, so many people, you know, they go through a journey with cancer without meeting anyone else or talking to somebody else who's been through something similar. So it can help people feel more connected, less isolated. So, you know, you know, this is always the highlight of these sorts of events. And absolutely, that was one here today. So thank you so much again, Pauline. Thank you so much. We just want to thank Pauline so much for sharing her story with us and thank you so much to the folks listening at home. We'd be very interested to hear your feedback. We've embedded a short survey in the text around the podcast platform. So if you could give us any feedback or suggest any future podcast topics, we'd really appreciate that. We hope you find this podcast helpful. Thank you.